Welcome to the Kumbaya Podcast, the whole woman's resource. I am Dr. Amanda Shipley, a pelvic physical therapist who is passionate about prevention and supporting women along their holistic health journey. Today, I am speaking with Dr. Erica Pluhar, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist, licensed professional counselor, and a certified sex therapist. She is also co-founder of Whole Heart Psychotherapy here in Atlanta, Georgia. Erica's practice of sex therapy reflects the mind, body, spirit experience that is human sexuality. And we dive right into all of it. She debunks some of the myths around sexuality and tells us some of the main issues she helps clients with when it comes to her sex therapy practice specifically. Erica shares with us the number one thing her clients who are moms complain about. More importantly, she shares with us what's behind that issue and what can be done about it. Dr. Pluhar gives her clients and all listening to this episode hope, inspiration, and support to reclaim our sexuality without shame. I learned so much from talking with Erica, and I'm so excited to share this information with you all. Visit me at kumbayalpodcast.com if you want to check out the show notes and all of Dr. Pluhar's excellent recommendations. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Erica. Thank you so much for joining me on the Kumbayal Podcast. Thank you so much. I love the name. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I would love to start with you telling us a little bit about yourself and also what it means to be a sex therapist. Sure. So that's such an interesting question because when I'm meeting people like on an airplane or at a party, it's not, I don't always lead with that. Yeah. <laughs> Usually I'm like a therapist. Well, what kind? Mental or physical? Mental. And then maybe four layers deep, we get to sex therapy. <laughs> we just jumped <laughs> no in. No pun on this, intended. Yeah. <laughs> um, what it means to be a sex therapist. So I, I kind of knew I wanted to do this work really young. Like mm-hmm. I was in college and I got intrigued with learning about human sexuality and just the universality of it, but simultaneous taboo nature. Mm. And the more I learned, the more I wanted to know. And then I became this person that people felt comfortable talking to about sexuality. So I went into education first and loved that. But then really my true calling and where I really wanted to spend my time was being a therapist and sitting one-on-one or one-on-two or in small groups with people. And um, to me, it's, it's a lot more about facilitating human connections mm-hmm. and authenticity and vulnerability than about like techniques and okay s- you know technical things or sex toys or swinging from the chandeliers or anything like that so right. a lot of what i do is about de-shaming helping people move shame away from their experience or heal trauma that gets in the way of um pleasure and joy and connection yeah. and a lot of times it seems like I'm talking less about sex and more about those kind of emotional matters and dynamics. Yes. Um, and then the, you know, the true rewards come when that connection happens and when people are able to express that in the ways that they want to, including their sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I know I was thinking about it before, you know, talking with you today and I was realizing that you're one of the people that I've 
kind of worked with and collaborated with since the beginning, since I first got involved in pelvic health. Really, and since we both got started in our careers. We we go way back. Yes, we do. And, <laughs> and I just am so happy to have you in my life professionally. And, you know, I yeah. just, uh, it's, you're such an asset to have with my patients. And thank you. I feel the same way about you and your work. Oh, thanks. And so what about your work are you most passionate so when I saw this question, because you were kind enough to send me some questions in advance. <laughs> You're not supposed to tell them. <laughs> tell your secrets. I know, right? What, I, um, what came to mind was what happened on Wednesday of this week. You know, I've been working with this couple for a long time. They were in a pretty much sexless marriage for a long time due to chronic illness and pelvic pain on her part. Yeah. And a dynamic that had cropped up between the two of them where he was pursuing and felt so rejected and just stopped. And she felt like she was just trying to keep him at bay. Mm-hmm. And after two years of slugging it out diligently, the three of us, they are sexual again. Oh, that's amazing. And it's like, that is it. Yes. When that actually happens, and, and the, in this case, two people have just invested so much in what means so much to them, their marriage, and you know, reinvigorating it and yeah. finding a missing piece and getting that going again, that is so rewarding. Yes. So I'm most passionate about that. That's like when it actually works. <laughs> understandable. Yeah, I, I agree. Oh, yeah. That's amazing. So let's dive a little more into the types of conditions that you can help women with. What, sure. what types of things are you seeing? Like, can you give us some examples? Yeah, I would say the um, most frequent presenting problem or issue that I see related to sexuality is low or absent desire mm-hmm. So or desire discrepancy. So a lot of over half of my caseload um, is people talking about, I, I don't want sex anymore. Right. I'm just not interested. I don't know what happened to my libido. It just is gone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can get into some of the why of that, but that's a pretty common situation for a lot of women mm-hmm. these days. Um, and then I also will see women who have pelvic pain. And okay. so working in conjunction with someone like yourself is, you know, a big piece of what I do. Yeah. And then I'll work on the mental um, you know, cognitive pieces, emotional pieces of that, as well as the relationship yeah. aspects. Cause as you know, that ripples through a relationship and can have a big effect totally. on, you know, the connection and the, the relationship. So I do that, um, orgasm issues. So women who've never had an orgasm, women who may have had an orgasm and then now are not, or can in certain situations or with certain kind of stimulation and then not in others. Mm-hmm. Um, healing sexual trauma. That's a big, unfortunate, common thing as well. Yeah. So I do a lot of that work. Do you um, work with that with men and women? Or? Men and women. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And then on the guy's side, I'll work with erectile difficulties, rapid ejaculation, mm-hmm. um, orgasm issues. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And can you describe to us a little bit about like your style of care or your philosophy, I guess? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the simplest way to describe the way I work is that it's two levels. I will help people with the behavioral, tactical aspects, and sometimes that includes education Mm -hmm. and homework and to-dos and very specific behavioral stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I also address the deeper emotional dynamics because we don't have sex in a vacuum. Well, some of us may, but (laughs) (laughs) we we have sex usually in the context of a relationship, whether it's a relationship with ourselves or with a partner. Mm -hmm. And so that has its own dynamic and 
and when there's sexual issues or sometimes as a result of relationship issues, there are sexual issues mm-hmm. and it's really hard to untangle the two. Yes. Yes. It's not uncommon for me to get folks that will be like, we, we have a, everything's great in our relationship and except for sex. Mm-hmm. And even then there's something going on relationally right. that is usually getting in the way or creating a block. Yeah. And so describe a little more about like, do you see partners individually? Do you see them together? How does that kind of work out? Sure. So if it's a couple, what mm-hmm. I'll do is see the, the two people together the first time typically, and then see them individually for at least one session to get some background, sexual history, family history, and then bring them back together as a couple to give some feedback and do treatment planning. And from there, we decide what we're going to do and it can be flexible. Sometimes we get to a stuck point and I feel like, you know, I need to meet the two of you together yeah, or separately and see if we can dig underneath what's blocking here. Mm-hmm. And then that opens back up again. Um, a lot of times I'll just continue working with the couple straight through. Yeah. Do Sometimes you- people have individual therapists already. And so oh. I tend to then be the the couples and sex therapist. Okay. So you, some of your clients, you'll work together as a, as a unit throughout mm-hmm. the entire course. Absolutely. Of, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's great. That's excellent. And some people I see individually, mm-hmm. like that's just their preference or that's what's called for right. treatment wise. Do you ever work with people where the partner is not on board? And so you, you work with one and the other, mm-hmm. well, I can't say on board, but not as supportive or not as. Yeah, yeah, definitely. My partner doesn't believe in therapy or doesn't think it's helpful or is reticent to come in for whatever reason. And right. in that case we would work together. And if it felt like then the partner was coming along and wanted to get in on things at Mm -hmm. that point we'd evaluate like would it make sense to add the partner in or is there too much of an allegiance between me and the original client Mm -hmm. that it would make more sense for them to see another couple's therapist right just to keep those boundaries clear yeah and that's good that you kind of yeah you assess that and that's at least on your your mind absolutely you're looking out for yeah that's great so this podcast is geared towards women in in particular and Thinking of moms specifically, are there some things that you see clinically when you're working with moms, you know, things that come up more often or more common? Absolutely. A low desire is a pretty common thing in my mm-hmm. practice among moms. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, desire is, is, like I said, multidimensional. And the, the current best model for, for thinking about human sexual response is described as it's the dual control model and it's that we all have a set of breaks and a set of like things that make us accelerate sexually Mm. moms have a lot of breaks yeah there's a lot of things hitting the brakes we're tired we're not sleeping we have little people throwing up on us we have people tugging at us all day we're all overtouched yeah we're caretaking everybody and most of us as excellent moms are are just programmed to other, to focus on other and not self. Mm-hmm. And desire is about self. Yes. It's about being connected to yourself. Mm-hmm. So mothering is in a lot of ways the antithesis of the ingredients that would be like on the accelerator for desire. Right. Um, so we, you know, a lot of it is about being able to help moms make carve out time and space for themselves. Okay. And we can say that until we're blue in the face, but it's really hard to do. To translate and actually, and it's not about like going and getting manis and petties necessarily. Right. It's about getting enough sleep. It's or, or 
getting more sleep. It's about saying no to things and to people and having boundaries. Mm -hmm. So those kind of emotional dynamics are so important. Yes. The other thing that I think a lot of moms struggle with that's very related to sexuality and desire is our bodies. Mm -hmm. And our bodies have changed when we've gone through, if we've gone through pregnancy and and birth, Mm -hmm. you know, we've got different bodies that we're dealing with that we have to make peace with and get to know. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times those bodies are not the bodies that are put out in society as what sexy is. Yes. And so that's a, and though that's changing, we're getting a lot more diversity and images and celebration of different bodies. It still is, it's a tough road to hoe in terms of acceptance and and feeling good about oneself and and learning to feel sexual in what body you have right now. Right, right. That makes sense. Another, Another thing that I think moms get to know all too well that is pretty toxic to desire is guilt. Mm. And so interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> How many times a day right. when I'm talking with my patients, do I say mom guilt and right. mom guilt? Yes. That's we feel guilty that we're working too much or not enough, or we're parenting too much or not. And we're not present enough, or we're not doing enough activities or we're not on the floor enough or like nothing ever feels enough. And so then if we're the low desire partner, like if we're the one that doesn't, want sex as much as mm-hmm. our partner, then all of a sudden that's another not enough. Mm. And that in and of itself kind of fuels the cycle of low desire because yeah. then you feel pressure and obligation mm. and like the quote broken one, something's wrong. The low low desire partners often get pinned as the problem. Right. You know, they're sent to therapy, like go fix that. That's yes. something's not right there. Yes. And that just feeds that cycle. Right. So there's a lot of layers to... And do you think even... What I see a lot is the resistance against needing lubrication, mm-hmm. which blows my mind. I mean, it's it's breastfeeding, right. it's hormonal changes, it's it's a thing. You just well, that gets to that body thing about like yeah. it, you should be a certain way, right. and and I think unfortunately, still most of us grow up with messages about se- how sex is supposed to be. Right. It's it's the quote American way. It's first base, second base, third base, home run, which is heterosexual penis and vaginas, multi-orgasmic or simultaneously orgasmic intercourse. And if you don't fit that narrow experience, you've somehow failed. Even our language around orgasm, achieve orgasm, it's like a pet peeve of mine. Mm. Because if you don't, what's the opposite of achieve? Yes. Fail. I remember you were the one that opened my eyes way back when, not to say trying to have sex. Right. You oh, are right. having sex. Like Somebody just, else taught me that. Yeah. You're like, oh, let's, did you try to have, and I, you know, I don't ask that anymore. Yeah. Did you try to have sex this week? Like, did you do it? Did you, you know? Right. Any right. attempt is valid. It's not yeah. a, you it know. It just all subtly reinforces that pressure, which right. is another huge thing on the brakes. Mm-hmm. Pressure, obligation, guilt. Yeah. So. And that's a killed joy. That's exactly. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. So I, I like to help moms. And really anybody who's who's struggling with low desire to or desire discrepancy to to broaden their definition of sex mm-hmm. in a relationship, like to have a very broad menu as opposed to this narrow, this has to lead to this, this has to lead to that. Because then, of course, if you throw in any physical variable like right. pain, pelvic pain, yes, um, then all of a sudden we're not touching at all right. because if we hold hands or we hug – that could lead to kissing, which could lead, you know, the bases. And you have no intimacy. There's, exactly. It's just taken off because the table. Because it all is a goal. Right. And it's just such a fragile, narrow way of defining 
physical intimacy. Yes. So I, I help couples develop a much broader menu. Mm-hmm. And, you know, once you throw kids in the mix, it's time becomes an issue. Yes. Like, when are we supposed to do these things? So mm-hmm. anything, I like to think of the first way, of the, the, the goal-oriented way that I described is the stair-step model. Okay. Where you know you're climbing toward a goal, mm-hmm. and there's only one goal, versus a wheel where there are spokes on a wheel, and there could be oh. infinite number of spokes, right? And any one of those could be an end in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So we could make out, and that could be a connection in that moment, right? And then another time we could have intercourse, and that could be a connection, <clears throat> or whatever. It's whatever's on on your wheel, right? And that's up to the couple to define that. Yes. And a lot of times you have to debunk the myths and the programming that people have gotten. Well, that's, I mean, my mind immediately goes to, why is this like this? Why, you know, do you think it's just culturally that we have this shame? We don't have good sex education in our country. I mean, all these things. All of that. We still don't have great sex ed. We still don't have great media models. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of parents are still uncomfortable talking to, to kids about sexuality. Right. You know, beyond problem prevention. Right. And I've, I can't remember now where I heard it, um, but they're saying how in Europe or some other country, sex, oh, you know who it was? I think Esther Perel. Mm-hmm. Have you, yeah. So I was listening to something with her and it, they were talking about how in other, in uh, Europe, I guess, they have sexuality education intertwined with like relationships yep. and just, so it's not just From what's the going on disease. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there are a couple models available here. Like the Unitarian Universalist Church has a curriculum called Our Whole Lives. Okay. My kids have both gone through it. One has gone through it twice. Good. And um, it's comprehensive from K through adulthood. Developmentally appropriate. Wow. Like just build that in. How do you get your hands on that? Is that something people can access online or you have to go to that church? You or? would have to go, but but non-members are totally welcome. Hmm. Anybody, any community member can yeah. Can go and enroll. That's great. Um, and there are some resources online too. Yeah. That's excellent. And there are great, I know we have a resource question later, but there right. are great um, resources available to help parents begin those dialogues and continue those dialogues. Yes. In age appropriate, developmentally appropriate, comprehensive ways. Yeah. So it sounds like having time and space for ourselves or lack thereof kills desire. Having guilt, um, having changing bodies, which just getting at peace with our body, I think as a PT, I mean, that's something mm-hmm. that, you know, I see and, and help and work with so much, um, physically trying to get them back to where they feel put together and whole, but then there's the whole mindset of that of like, do they feel sexy? Do you know, yeah. that's, um, I think even probably a lot harder. Well, so with that, with that part, I, I like to have women begin to spend time with themselves. Yeah. Like, that could be just when you take a shower or bath, do it a little more mindfully mm. of like this. Okay, this is my body. How does it feel when I touch it in this sensual way versus oh. just this like kind of get it done, clean up mode, functional way. Right. Um, how does it feel for me to lay down on the bed and just kind of let my mind think about what's sexy at this point? Mm hmm. What's it like to read something sexy, some Mm. erotica at this point in my life? What Mm. am I even interested in? So a lot of it's like kind of getting to know yourself again. Yeah. And I would encourage a female client to take, to do some of those experiments and explorations. Yeah. And I would often do that her just with her. Mm -hmm. Not, so even if I'm seeing a couple, I might 
give her some assignments separately. Like do this for you with you first. And then we'll see how, what, what to bring back to the relationship. Mm -hmm. Immediately my mind goes to things you can do together and how to reconnect without it being sexual. Mm -hmm. But that's, that's awesome. Reconnecting to her own personal body. Right. Well, and we would do that as well. Um, I usually like if a couple is really stuck in a power struggle and one person wants it sex more and the other person wants it less. It's not uncommon for people to get so far apart that they're just not even touching, like yeah. I mentioned. Yeah. Um, and there's so much resentment. And then we've got to do some emotional untangling and healing as well right. and getting people talking underneath their defensive positions about mm-hmm. what what's really hurting and hearing that. So then we can have open dialogue. And at that point, usually those kind of, okay, let's rebuild and relearn touch yes. interventions are effective. Okay. But if you layer those on top of the resentment and the buildup that's been there over right. a long period of time, it's you're, it's going to not go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> not be effective. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Usually then a couple will come back and be like, well, I didn't schedule it because I was waiting on you. Well, I was waiting on you. So yeah. I'm like, okay, <laughs> we know where we have to go now. Yeah. <laughs> let's start here instead. Yeah. Um, and how about the guilt? How what what can what do you usually recommend when you find that's a large proponent of what's bothering, what's getting in the way for someone? Well, sometimes education around what guilt is like mm-hmm. there's there's actual guilt over a wrongdoing, mm-hmm. and then there's like neurotic guilt mm-hmm. that doesn't serve us at all, but we all experience it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's helping a woman or a client differentiate like what's underneath the guilt you know getting to the feelings underneath validating i mean whenever we make a choice to do something there's a loss of something that we're not doing Mm, and sometimes we have to be sad about that maybe Mm -hmm. even grieve what we're not doing Mm -hmm. so tending to the underlying emotions and giving a lot of permission and validation can be very helpful in moving through the guilt opening up the dialogue with the partner like i was describing Mm -hmm. of um having you know being able to articulate i don't want to put more on you so i just kind of hold it in mm-hmm. is you know i'm trying to protect you but at the same time i'm withdrawing from you like being able to have people get connected in that emotional space more can yeah. help yeah and just not feeling alone in it yeah feeling seen and heard is huge whether it's the therapist doing that seeing or hearing or more importantly the partner right and i think like you said the validation because I think so many times we can get in our heads and especially with postpartum hormones, yeah, you know, yeah. so many, so many moms, especially new moms just want to know you're, I'm not alone mm-hmm. in feeling this way. Mm-hmm. Or, and to have someone validate that, you know, you're, you feel all of this guilt, but we don't have to feel that way. We have these shoulds. Oh, we should right. be doing this. We should be doing that. No, you shouldn't. You know, I yeah. mean, giving yeah. that permission to say. The motherhood has so many shoulds all over it. it. And so does sexuality for that matter. So yeah. when you put the two together, it's yeah. kind of like. A, a ringer. Yeah. <laughs> it's a ringer. For not, for not a good thing. <laughs> oh my gosh. Are there any other big issues or, or anything else we can talk about that before we get into the resources, which I'm really excited. Yeah. About. Yeah. So uh, this is a little mini lecture. I give a lot of my couples that relates to finding or, or, you know, reigniting, reinventing sexuality after you have kids. Yeah. The date night myth. Mm. So uh, most people are told like you have to have date nights and as a sex therapist and a couples therapist, it's another pet peeve of mine that, sex and the going out part get lumped together oh right so because think about it you go out 
you maybe get a little tipsy if you drank alcohol. Mm -hmm. You get full. You're now like bloated. (laughs) And now you're supposed to go home and you're tired because you don't usually go out or stay out that late. And now Mm -hmm. you're supposed to have sex. Yes. So I encourage couples to separate those two out. Like have a at-home sex date. Mm Mm-hmm. And then have a going out date. It Uh also like depressurizes the whole thing. Right. So the at-home sex date best occurs if you have little kids and they go to bed at, you know, eight o'clock or whatever, Mm -hmm. right after they go to bed. Yes. Because that's usually when people have a little second wind. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you shouldn't wait any longer than that. I say, like, do not pass go. Yeah. Do not collect $200. Like, go do, have some sort of ritual that you do together to get into that space and do that. Yes. Or nap times on the weekend. Or mm-hmm. sometimes people are able to be flexible in their jobs if kids are in school and come home and have lunch together or have like a little, yeah. you know. Rendezvous. Yes. A rendezvous <laughs> during day. the day. Yes. Um, but then go do the going out part. Yeah. Separate. That's such a good yeah, that's such a good recommendation. Yeah, and it ties into another thing. And you mentioned Esther Perel, who's one of the resources I was going to talk about. But okay. she brings this up a lot as a, a key to keeping sexuality alive and well in a relationship over the changes of having and raising kids and all the other challenges that come with life mm-hmm. um, is intentionality. Mm. When we are dating, when we're first dating, it's like the most intentional time. If, we, if you think about it, totally. like everyone thinks it's spontaneous in terms of sex. It just happens and it's so great. But it is the most thoughtful, intentional time ever. Like, you know exactly what emojis you're going to send in your text message and what whether you've shaved your legs and what you're wearing. You've planned it out three days in advance. All of that's planned out. Yeah. And there's a reason why that makes for good sex. Of course, hormones and new relationship energy Newness. helps with all that. Novelty and desire definitely like each other. Right. Um, but to be able to bring that intentionality in down the line is yeah. hugely important. That's yeah. where like the planning for sex time or dates mm-hmm. and being really clear about that is super helpful. And I think that's true for so many things. I mean, I think it half is. of the, you know, Christmas, whatever holiday, the anticip- you know, anticipation yes. and building up toward that is half of the fun of it, really. Right. So if if we just try to go for the gold and just get it done with, I mean, that doesn't, yeah, I, that makes sense. I think that's yeah. good. Well, and I think there's a, a myth of spontaneity, like that it should just, it should just happen. Yeah. You know, we've been together so long and why is this so hard? We shouldn't have to plan. Right. And then you add in lubrication and all these things well, that may not have to. Well, that's where lubrication fits in too. Right. It's like, yeah, my body should work this way. Right. And it's not, and I'm frustrated about that. And yeah. and I do, I see it's a lot of women that get frustrated about it, not just the partner, you mm-hmm. know, that um, if yeah. it used to be one way and it's not that way anymore, they just, they don't, they don't like that. Yep. So let's dive into the resources that you like to share with your clients. And we can think even if they're not moms, you know, say maybe um, yeah. for pelvic pain clients, for low desire clients, or in the inorgasmic, the yep. lack of orgasm, that would be awesome. So I'm a big book nerd and I have like 10 million books. And my <laughs> clients are always like, oh, that's a lot of books. Um, and I'm always recommending a book. So I'll, I'll read you some of my favorites. Okay. Um, I mentioned the dual control model with the breaks in the facilitator. Yeah. So there's a book from 2015 by Emily Nagoski called Come As You Are. Great. And it's about female sexuality, but I think it really applies to sexuality in general. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of men can relate to to this m- way of thinking as well. Um, 
that it that not only is it based on this model, but it's also she brings out the concept that it's so context dependent. Mm. Like how we experience our sexuality really matters. The context really matters. Yeah. And so to be able to be intentional, like we were talking about, and aware of what kinds of things cause you to hit the brakes, what kinds of things cause you to hit the accelerator, mm. um, just that self-awareness and being able to communicate that with a partner. And it's very validating and and de-shaming mm. and de-shooting. Yeah. So that's one of my favorites, current favorites on female sexuality. Um, there's a book called Sexy Mamas. It's a little bit older, but it's a great book for fi- finding and getting to know your sexuality once you've become a mother. Mm. Um, Healing Painful Sex is one I know you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. There are several good books on um, sexuality with pelvic pain in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, I Heart Female Orgasm. Oh, I have not heard of that one. Is a good one for specifically focusing on orgasm Mm -hmm. and then for healing sexuality both with oneself and with a partner if there's been sexual trauma Mm -hmm. in the mix that healing the sexual healing journey is one of my favorites great and then a a couple more contemporary like online resources Mm -hmm. that i like i mentioned Destra perel you mentioned her Mm -hmm. as well she's got a series of podcasts um Less how to like prescriptive, but more kind of inspiring, interesting, deep dives into different couple situations. So they're mm-hmm. live sessions that she does with. I kind of describe them as therapy porn. Yeah, like they're they're just really interesting to listen to. Yeah, um, but they're all a lot of them are sexuality focused, mm-hmm. and she brings out nicely like the underlying emotional dynamics as well as some of the sexual behavioral pieces. I just learned about that. I haven't heard any of them yet. Yeah, that's awesome. They're fun. Um, and then another resource that I learned about recently and have used with a few folks is on a website called Scarlet Teen, S C A R L E T E E N. And it's a yes, no, maybe inventory. So it's something that you could, I've used it with a few couples where they each fill out a checklist of a vast array of sensual and sexual behaviors Mm -hmm. that they are either interested in or might be interested in or, or hardline no, mm-hmm. and then they can share that with one another. So as I talked about expanding that menu, that's, that's a, a helpful exercise to compare and find out where the overlap is. That's immediately what I thought of, that some people, especially if they don't have a lot of experience, say they save themselves for marriage and then, right. and then they just, you know, they don't know what they have available to them that could be sensual or sexual right. for them. Right. And for like basic sexuality education, so for folks that didn't get that growing up or don't just don't have a lot of information, mm-hmm. the the classic guide to getting it on, oh, it's called the guide to getting it on. I think it's in like its 17th edition. <laughs> it's written for a younger audience, but it's so like college age. Yeah. Um, it's so welcoming, inclusive and easy to, you know, permission giving, easy to digest. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one that I recommend a fair amount too do you know anything um online kind of like the our whole lives the ones that are geared more toward children any of that online yet? i don't know of online resources but i'll tell you my favorite books okay so roby harris r-o-b-i-e mm-hmm. harris r- wrote and um michael emberley was the illustrator a series of books that begin with it's not the stork and then the second one is it's so amazing mm-hmm. and the third one is it's perfectly normal and it's perfectly normal, I believe, is age 10 and up. 
Okay. It's so amazing. It's like seven and up and I think four and up for it's not the stork. So developmentally appropriate. Yeah. Comprehensive sexuality education. My kids have consumed all three of them. Good. And um, your kids totally have like a heads up. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) we were talking the other day because we were watching a movie. It was a PG-13 movie and some there was some reference to masturbation. Yeah. And my kids are eight and 11 going on nine and 12. And my eight-year-old was like, what's that? And I was like, pause. <laughs> really? I could, I'm happy you asked. <laughs> exactly. And the, the older one's kind of rolling his eyes. And I was like, I think you should feel lucky that you have a mom who's comfortable. Like yes. there are a lot of parents who are just not comfortable. I'm sure he's like, oh God, why is my mom yes. always launch into these educational opportunities? Yeah. But um, yeah, so we yeah. reviewed what it is. And, right. and then I said, if you have any questions, let me know. Yeah. Continue the movie. <laughs> Continue. And that's exactly, plant that seed, and right. then they come back with some more questions, or then, you know, like a month later, they're going to bring something up, and you're like, hmm, pause. I'm exactly. glad you asked. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I feel badly for my daughter. You know, she's like, vulva, and she just, you know, she knows it. She just yeah. can name her body parts. And I remember when my oldest was, I think, three two and a half or three and a a relative an older relative said something about where do babies come from talking about dolls and like just trying to make light conversation and my son was like the uterus and that's like yes yes that's funny what inspires you I mean, stuff like this week, the the story I mentioned Mm. earlier where somebody's been struggling and working so hard and then there's this breakthrough. Yes. That's so rewarding. It happened again yesterday with a couple that has had um, some differences in the way that they want to express sexuality and Mm -hmm. that, you know, had to work through a lot of relationship differences as well and struggles and then they're finding their way back to each other. It's like, it's just so, it makes me feel really good Mm -hmm. when... It translates. Yes. Especially because it is such a taboo. We don't talk about it. Or if we do, it's, you know, like women's breasts are highly sexualized, you know, in the media. But that if someone's breastfeeding their child, that's like, oh, no, no. I mean, it's just we have such conflicting messages out there. And to have some good education, some good, honest conversation, like getting to these next places in their journey and their relationship. I mean, that's just so incredible to be a part of. Totally. And I think just... When people are able to shed shame wherever mm-hmm. wherever it came from, whether mm-hmm. it was from a traumatic experience or just like social programming or religion or yes. parenting or like wherever it came from, mm-hmm. it's when they're able to confront that, have the courage to confront that, talk about it, cry about it, share it with somebody else and heal and then like have some pleasure and joy on the other side. That is super inspiring to me. Yeah. And do you see when people, when they do that, do they move past that forever? So say we're talking about like sexual mm, trauma. Yeah. Is it something that's always in the back of their mind? Is it always something that, that they have to work on? Or mm-hmm. is, is it, do you see people kind of saying, okay, that was my past. I'm not making it my present. And they can kind of move forward. So I think it varies. Okay. I think some people are able to really, you know, put something to rest and, and move on. Mm-hmm. However, a lot of times people are surprised, like say say there's been a sexual trauma and then a per- the person did a lot of therapy and feels like it's resolved and done and then gets in a relationship and maybe gets married and has a child. And then all of a sudden, say that child is around the same age that that client was oh, right. when the trauma happened, it's there again. Yes. So sometimes life events that are vulnerable and 
um, you know, very emotionally activating can bring trauma back up again. Mm -hmm. And then it's an opportunity to do some more healing. Right. Yeah. And then to not look at it with guilt and shame and, right. and oh, I shouldn't be going through this again. I should have already right. I healed thought I, this. I thought it was resolved. Yes. Yeah. And just yeah. to say, meet yourself where you're at and have compassion. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. It needs to be tended to. It's kind of like an, you know, an injury that aches on occasion again. And Right. Right. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners? Um, well, thank you for listening. <laughs> and thank you for having me here. Yeah. I think that if you're listening to this, you obviously have an interest in health and in, you know, sexual health in this case and body integrity and wholeness. And so, you know, that's a awesome, courageous, open place to be. Mm -hmm. And hopefully you can have people to talk to about that if you have questions. Yeah. Um, Amanda's practice is certainly a resource. My practice, whole heart psychotherapy is the name of my practice. Yeah. So, um, and ericapluhar.com is my personal website. Okay. So there's lots more resources and information there. Um, if you're struggling, like, please don't hesitate to reach out to somebody for help. Yes. That would be my encouragement. Yes, I agree. And, and like you said, even just with, I like your knowledge about like how to start when they're kids and how to, you know, so even if you don't have an issue yourself or you feel like things are going fine, can they reach out to you if they have some of those questions of how to absolutely, yeah, like, you know, work with that with their kids and, and create yep. that groundwork that their children have a absolutely. good background. I yeah, love to do that kind of work. Great. Oh, that's amazing. And what is the best way you said ericapluhar.com and yeah. there are other places they can whole, find you? Yeah. Wholeheartpsychotherapy.net. Okay. That's a mouthful. I know. Yeah. Whole W H O L E heart H E A R T psychotherapy.net and that's my group practice and so we my business partner tara arnold specializes in eating disorders anxiety and dbt dialectical behavioral therapy okay. um so we we have a ton of people you know under our umbrella that do lots of different things so comprehensive mental health services and yeah. then erica .com is my sex therapy couples therapy focused website excellent and I, we have a Facebook page for Whole Heart and Instagram, which okay. I'm just getting familiar with. <laughs> Exciting. <laughs> as a as a non-social media person. But yeah. Right. Yeah. So those resources are out there as well. Excellent. Well, I thank you so much for all that you do. You are just an invaluable resource to me. And I so appreciate all the times you've talked with me on the phone and coached me through things and uh you know we shared patients and co-treated and things and yeah i've loved our collaboration too. yeah yeah it's been incredible so thank you for your time today thank you for having me